Jesus' name. If he's battling, we have a mom's room over there. Don't stress, guys. <laughs> but I'm one of those people where I get distracted very easily. So I'll end up going off on a tangent. <laughs> Maybe when I get a bit older, I'll uh, be able to handle. Okay. okay, so last weekend we had a, um, a time of equipping and training on how to hear God. Zach Lombard and his team from Revolution Church in Pretoria, they came down, spent Saturday morning with us and Sunday as well. And it was so good just to demystify what it means to hear God and just to break it down how simple it is to hear God's voice for myself and for other people. Zach also preached on Sunday. He talked about the partnership we have with God and the Holy Spirit. And if you hear, he prophesied over a number of people and over the church, amazing prophecies. And it was an incredible moment as God was just speaking and just moving through His Holy Spirit. Now, I'm aware that some people are nervous when we talk about the Holy Spirit. They get a bit freaked out. They get a bit kind of uncomfortable. Some people get worried when we talk about speaking in tongues or miracles. Is it real? Did they fake it, etc.? A lot of misunderstandings possibly when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And I think as, as humans... Um, we, we get uncomfortable with things that we can't control. We can't control God, so we get uncomfortable when God does something we don't expect. You look at the Bible, it's full of things, God doing things that people didn't expect. They probably were very freaked out as well. We don't like things that mess with our very safe, tame view of God. We like God just to be like us, and then we can be in control of God. Kind of illogical when I say it like that, hey? But actually, these things, uh, they're in the Bible. Unashamedly, unapologetically so, the Holy Spirit is part of our life. Someone once said that um, a society that denies the supernatural elevates the natural. We need the Holy Spirit. We're called to walk supernaturally. But if we say, oh, we don't want the Holy Spirit, we don't want this stuff, it makes us feel a bit uncomfortable sometimes. What will the new people think if someone talks in tongues? <gasps> if you deny the supernatural, you elevate the natural. You elevate man-made stuff. You elevate the flesh. Who wants a church run by humans? Hello, there's been many of them that have crashed and burnt and hurt people. The Holy Spirit Second, is not an optional extra for deluxe Christianity or for those strange and loopy Christians out there. That's what we would maybe call them. But the Holy Spirit's essential for living out our life. We can't bear fruit. We can't serve God without the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, this is just my intro, it's abnormal for Christians not to desire the supernatural. It's abnormal. We might think, oh, it's, it's you know, those Christians who love the miraculous. It's those guys who are out there. It's, it's those guys who are on the fringe. We think they're the abnormal ones. Actually, it's the other way around. It's abnormal for a Christian not to want the supernatural power of God. I'm not talking about weird and freaky. I'm talking about the power of God in our lives. And if, if you feel uncomfortable if you feel kind of awkward, if you wish those things didn't happen in church, then I would respectfully say, get before God, read your Bible, and get a fresh conviction 
on the importance of the Holy Spirit for our lives. There's a really cool account in 1 Samuel chapter 10 in the Old Testament. The very first king of Israel was Saul. Before David came, it was Saul, right? And the prophet Samuel anointed Saul, poured oil all over him, and while the oil's dripping, actually Saul, before that point, Saul was on his way to find his dad's donkeys that had run away. But he meets Samuel. Samuel anoints him with oil. He's dripping with oil, and Samuel says, Go to this place, the great tree of Tabor, wherever that is. And when you get there, you're going to see three men. One of them is going to have three goats. The other guy is going to have three loaves of bread. And the third guy is going to have a bottle of wine, a skin of wine. I always love the detail of Scripture. And that's, you know, you're going to see them there. But when you get there, go to Gibeah, Samuel says. And when you get to Gibeah, as you approach the town, you're going to meet a procession of prophets. These holy men are going to be playing their instruments. They're going to be singing. You're going to spot them as a whole crowd of them. They're going to be prophesying. This is Saul's, uh, Samuel's instruction to Saul. And then he says this, The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Friends, the work of the Spirit is to change us into a different person. And to enable us to do things we could never do. Saul was not a prophet. He'd never prophesied. And yet Samuel says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to do stuff you could never do in your own strength. And you're going to be changed. Friends, that is why we need the Holy Spirit. Because we need to do stuff that we can't do in our own strength. And we need to be changed into different people. We need God's Spirit. Amen? We also need God's Word. Some churches are, are very big on the Spirit stuff and all the experiences, but they neglect the teaching of Scripture, the plain, obvious truths. Other churches are so Bible-based, full of good teachings and theology and courses, but they have all these rules, these man-made rules, and the life of the Spirit is just not there. We don't want to be one church or the other church. We want to have both the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We need both. Do you see that? 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, correcting, instructing, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Not just some verses. Not just your favorite verses. All Scripture even the ones that make us feel uncomfortable, <laughs> inspired by God. Verse 17, why? So that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Most of us feel like we're not equipped for the work of God. We feel like we can't do much because we haven't got training. We don't know the Bible. We have all these excuses, right? And I wonder if, if you and I just read our Bible a whole lot more, and allowed God to teach us, correct us, train us, instruct us, rebuke us, that we would be thoroughly equipped. That's what the Bible says. How can you be thoroughly equipped for every good thing God has? The Word of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. Allow God to teach you, to train you, to instruct you, to correct you. We don't like to be told we're wrong sometimes, eh? I'd like to be rebuked. <laughs> That's what the Word of God is for. 
Hebrews 4 verse 12, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Five quick points why we need God's word. God's word is divine in its origin. It's the only book that when you read it, the author is present. God's word is living in its nature. It's dynamic. It's, it's changing. It's alive. It doesn't change what it says, but you can read one scripture one year and three months later read the same scripture, but like suddenly God does something different. It's alive. God's word is powerful in its operation. It penetrates. It pierces our hearts. It changes us. It's final in its judgment. You know that we should never challenge God's word. It should challenge us. Who are we to think we can sit in judgment over God's word and decide what it means? We think we're better than the author who wrote it, God? No, no, we allow God's word to challenge us. It shapes us. Not, this is what we want, we will make the word of God say something different. Lastly, it's clear in its command. Jesus says, believe. We have to obey his word. You know, the Bible is not full of suggestions. It's full of instructions and commands. It's our final authority for how to live on planet earth. And I know that most of us know most of those things. I'm not trying to teach us something new today, but I want to ask you, are you living this? Not do you know it. We all know the Bible is the word of God, but do we live it? Do we read it like God is there with us? That was the intro. Unrelated to Ephesians. <laughs> but so important. We need the Spirit of God. And we need the Word of God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. I think we're in part 5 of our series for the book of Ephesians. And we're going to read the first section of Ephesians chapter 3. From verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to people in other generations as it's now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, that's you and I, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Some translations say the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, not through denomination, not through 
church meetings, through the church, through God's people, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose. Not that God's purposes don't change. That He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Interesting text. There's some very long sentences. You've got to like breathe halfway through as Paul's writing. But this text, we learn some things about Paul and from Paul in these verses. Let me highlight a few. Firstly, he was imprisoned for his faith. That opening line, prisoner. And this letter was written around about AD 62 from a jail in Rome. How many of you know people that when the first lockdown happened two years ago, they were caught somewhere? Oh, we, I, I bet on the other day, their friend was caught in Europe. Six months extra in Europe before they could come back to South Africa. Paul wasn't locked down in a holiday resort. He wasn't at his brother's beach house. He was in prison. How many of you know that the food in prison isn't great? The amenities aren't always clean. The clothes are old. and Like it's not nice to be in prison. But here he is paying a price in prison for his faith. But look at the fruit that came out of it. These amazing letters. He wrote letters to churches, to people. Incredible. How often do you and I think that this circumstance or this situation that I'm going through now that I'm facing wasn't my fault, but, but it stops me from serving God. It's like a prisoner. I can't do this because of X or Y. I can't go to life group because I've got to study, whatever it might be. Think of the fill in the blank for you, because we all have excuses if we're honest. Here's Paul. He did what he could. He wrote these encouraging letters, which have become two-thirds of the New Testament. And he prayed for people. Some of the prayers are recorded. Dara is going to preach on one of them next weekend. The most amazing prayers. Paul did what he could in the place he could. And you know what? The churches that Paul planted while he was free closed down within a couple hundred years. But the letters he wrote in prison are still going around the world. They've encouraged literally hundreds of millions, maybe billions of people. And friends, you and I have no excuse to be uninvolved, to be inactive, no matter how hard with respect your circumstance is. Here's Paul in prison. He writes half the New Testament. God can use a jail. What are my excuses? What are your excuses that you say, God, I can't? Or they can, but I can't. If I had a car, if I had more money, if I had more time, if I had no kids, if the kids were out the house, I'd have time. Or if I have a spouse one day, then I'm going to be fulfilled. I can serve God. Some of you are saying, when my spouse dies one day, I can finally serve God. I'm joking, I'm joking. That's not a hand, Sonia, eh? No, okay, good, just checking. Your spouse is not here today. <laughs> but for, honestly, friends, God can use a jail. There's nothing in our life he can't use. Secondly, Paul's life 
reflected a big gospel. He calls himself a servant of the gospel. How? By the gift of God's grace. How many of you would like a gift that makes you a servant? None of us would probably put up our hands. He says, the gift of God's grace, I'm a servant of the gospel. How would you describe yourself when it comes to the gospel? We're a recipient of the gospel, maybe. We're a benefiter of the gospel, amen? Life eternal, salvation, freedom, grace, blessing, absolutely we benefit from the gospel. And while that's not wrong, I think God would have more of us be servants of the gospel. You see, it's great to have my life changed by the grace of God, and all of us, I hope, have had that today. It's great to be filled with joy and with purpose in life, but there's a greater privilege to carry the message. There's a greater privilege to take the mystery of life change to other people. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm, I'm so happy God gave me this gift of servanthood. This message that can turn people's life around. Most of us don't think of the gospel in this way, if we're honest. Our Western view has diminished, has reduced the gospel. Because we like comfort and ease and pleasure and simplicity, we don't like suffering and challenges and hardship. So we've reduced the gospel. Well, you know, Jesus died on the cross. You know, it was my sin. I couldn't, I couldn't sort it out. Thank God Jesus died. God's judgment. Whew, God's happier now that Jesus died. I can be born again. Praise God. It becomes a self-centered gospel. It's not the gospel Paul preached. Actually, Paul says, the boundless riches of Christ being an heir, inheriting something, being sharers in God's promises. Friends, does your life reflect the greatness of the gospel? Does your life show how big this gospel really is? Or have we reduced it and limited and shrunk it down? God saved me. If I was the only person in the world, God would have died for me. Like, I don't think that's wrong, but it, the focus is me. Surely the focus is of God. Thirdly, Paul doesn't let his past determine his future. He considers himself less than the least of all God's people. He was aware of his past. In another letter, he calls himself the chief of sinners. He had a wretched past. He persecuted the church. And that should have disqualified him from anything major in the early church. But when the early church were convinced Paul had been born again. They were going to read an act, so they were scared to come near him. They thought, ah, this is a trick. He's going to infiltrate and then destroy more churches. But when they saw this man has changed, the grace of God is on him, the power of God is going through him, they welcomed him. They gave him a ministry. He went preaching and planting churches. But Paul didn't let his past determine his future. He could have wallowed in self-pity. Oh, woe is me. Look how bad I was. He didn't write himself off. God didn't. His church leaders didn't, but he didn't wallow in whatever his past was. Didn't cripple him. He lived in a place of humility, aware of his past. I'm the least of all God's people, but God's grace 
I'm a servant. I can preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. He, there was a gratitude that Paul had. He knew where he came from. And friends, you and I need that same humility and gratitude. We know we're all wretched. We know we all have a past. We're aware of it. We don't boast about how bad it was like some people do. But we're grateful God's cleansed me. I'm born again. I'm a new creation. God doesn't write us off. We mustn't write us off either. You know that God is greater than your past? And I want to say God is greater than your present. Whatever circumstances you're in now, God is greater than your circumstances. Don't let what you lack determine what God can do for you or do through you. Don't let what you lack limit God's call on your life. And in fact, don't let what you have limit what God can do. Friends, God is bigger. God doesn't limit you by what you have. Hear that? God doesn't limit you by what you lack. God doesn't limit you by your personality, your disposition, your nervousness, your shyness, your loudness, whatever you are, however God's made you, God doesn't limit you by you. Let us not put a limit on ourselves that God doesn't place on us. Nextly, I don't know what point we're at before. Paul says he's entrusted with a mystery that's been kept hidden for ages. The Old Testament prophets and people, they, it was like kept under wraps. They got the odd kind of snapshot or, or flash of the future. You see the prophecies about the Messiah coming. But they couldn't see the whole picture. Now Paul says it's now been made known. And he lists a couple of things. He says, the Gentiles, that's you and me, we are heirs together with Israel. Israel was God's chosen people, his, his favorite. The rest of the world was just like, good luck to you. Actually, Paul says now we are together. We're members together of one body. We're sharers together in the promises. There's no distinction amongst nationalities. We're all God's favorite. How amazing is that? And the apostles didn't get this at first. They said, Acts chapter 1, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus is like, no, you've missed the plot. It's for everyone. We get the boundless or unsearchable riches of Christ. Through the church, Paul says, God's wisdom will be made known. We'll get to that in a moment. Number five, what we learn about Paul is he was obsessed with the purposes of God. He was determined, single-minded, devoted. He was gripped with the purposes of God. Friends, when we understand the magnitude of God's purpose, His eternal purpose, this text says, when you really, and I don't think we can ever fully understand it, but when we start to grasp God's purpose and the fact that God wants you and I to play a role in His purpose, suddenly we realize, I can't do it alone. I can't do this thing on my own, this calling. I need the Holy Spirit, <laughs> right? We need a helper. I need the Holy Spirit to multiply when I'm faithful, and I bring my five loaves and two fishes, the little bit that I have to feed a crowd. 
but to realize we can't do it on our own. We need the power of God, the enabling of God. I can't do it on my own. We need to be planted in a church family. If you think you can serve the purposes of God by yourself, not plugged into a church, not connected to life group, not having fellowship, friends, you're going to miss it. Don't come to church or life group because the pastor says or the wife nagged you or whatever else. We have to follow the purposes of God. So often I think, friends, the church run after the promises of God and not the purposes of God. We want the blessing because it's convenient and comfortable. I want the easy life. Oh, the promises. We have a box of promises. You can buy those in the shops. And they're not wrong, but God says, follow my purpose. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the promises, they will chase after you. But in the church today, we're so focused on the promises. What is God going to bless me with? We actually not <laughs> follow God's plan, His plan. The writer of the Proverbs says, many are the plans in a man's heart. I was just telling Candace some of my plans for the next year. Many are the plans of, of someone's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. You know that God is not committed to your dream? He's not committed to our dream or the church's dream. He's committed to His purpose. So people often ask, what is God's plan for my life? And I, that's not a wrong question to ask. The heart is amazing. I, I want to serve God some way. But it's a little bit self-centered. What is God's plan for my life? I want to have significance. Actually, we should be saying, what is God's purpose? What is God's will? What is God doing that I could do that thing and be part of what He's doing? Because He calls me to His purpose because those are eternal. My plans are not. My dreams are not. See the difference? The heart's not wrong, but I think sometimes the question doesn't help. Friends, are you and I asking God to bless our thing? Or are we convinced that God's purposes are ultimate, eternal, the most important thing, all that matters? Are we convinced of that? Do you know what it means to be convinced? You have a conviction. You know what that word means? No, me neither. But I heard someone say, we don't have a conviction. A conviction has us. That thing that you are so convinced of, that it compels you. You can't help it. You can't help but following that thing because you believe it so emphatically. Nothing can change your mind on that thing. Are we convinced that God has an eternal purpose and that He calls us to be part of it? He doesn't come to bless our thing. So what is this, this mystery all about? What is this inheriting together with Israel that Paul's speaking of? What are we sharing together? What are these boundless riches? What is God wanting to make known through the church? I'll try and work that out. God looks at the earth and he sees the impact of sin and the impact of the devil and 
all the stuff that's wrong, the wars and the diseases and the crime and the hatred, God knows how bad things are. And He doesn't just reach down and say, yeah, there's a helping hand, let me get you out of planet Earth. It's so bad down there, shame. Those poor humans. He doesn't just scatter a whole bunch of blessings across the earth and hope some of them land on the good people that they can be a bit better and escape some of the the negative stuff on the earth. No, no, no. Jesus Himself climbs down into our sin-ravaged world. He lives, He walks the dusty streets, faces the challenges that we face. He shows us the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Friends, that, that statement alone should cause us to read the Gospels every day. Jesus shows us the Father. He showed us what God is like. He trained up disciples. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He even raised the dead. And he preached. He taught. He explained. He described. He spoke a lot. You know what the core of his message was? Wherever he went, he preached about the kingdom. Preached about the gospel of the kingdom. He would start his messages like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who goes out to sow seed, etc., etc. Jesus didn't come to establish a political movement. Some people have tried to make him that. He didn't come to gather military might and build an army and overthrow Rome in a revolution. He didn't come to do that. He didn't come to build a philosophy school of how to be good to your enemies and turn the other cheek and be nice to people. He didn't come to do that. He came to establish a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. Remember when Pilate was interrogating him before he died on the cross? He says, are you a king? He says, Jesus said, yes. My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. See, in the Old Testament, things were physical. There was a physical land, an inheritance. But in the New Testament, things are spiritual. We have a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual inheritance. This kingdom is, goes beyond earthly borders. Anyone in any country can be part of it. You don't have to like, you know, when you drive down to Boxburg, you've got to take your passport with you. Like, it's not like that in God's kingdom. There's a way to get in, right? But it, it, it goes beyond the natural. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. They asked him, when is the kingdom appearing? Where is it? Is it here or there? No, no, it's, it's within you, he says. And we get into this kingdom by being born again. John chapter 3, where we see that Jesus died, that he rose, that he took the punishment for my sin. And when I put my faith in him, when I accept this free gift of salvation, the Bible says we are born again. The Holy Spirit makes us alive. We're born from on high, John chapter 3 says. We have new life. And that's the start of the journey. And the sad thing is so many Christians make that the end of the journey. Well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I can do what I want now. Thank you, Jesus. I got fire insurance. Not going to go to hell. (laughs) They don't realize 
or they don't care, that's sad, or they've just never been taught that the kingdom is so much more. This mystery is the boundless riches of Christ. These spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 1. And so this mystery, friends, is that we get to be part of God's kingdom. Wow. Where God is the king. And he gives you and I a new heart. Prophesied in the Old Testament, I'll take out your heart of stone. I'll put in a heart of flesh. Wow. I have a new hope. Paul says in the letter to Colossians, speaking about this mystery that's been heard, he says, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's this mystery, and I still don't know what that means. It's not a mystery to me, but it sounds amazing. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have eternal life. We have a new life on earth. Jesus says, out of you are going to flow rivers of living water. We have a new life in this kingdom. We have a new helper, the Holy Spirit. And we mustn't be freaked out, friends, honestly. If you know me, I'm like, my wife jokes and calls me safe. Like, I'm like the accountants of the world. Like, I'm a scientist. Like, there's, there's a method, there's a plan, there's plan B, C, and D. Okay? Like, the Holy Spirit stuff is not my natural leaning. But God, I want your power, even if it makes me uncomfortable. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and I. We can't ignore it, friends. We've got to get out of our comfort zone a bit. I need to. We have a new relationship in this kingdom. Between me and God, no longer enemies, no longer separated, no longer judgment, but he adopts us into his family. And suddenly we can be friends with God. That is radical, friends. You can be a friend of God. This is the mystery Paul is saying. We have a new purpose. I mentioned that. We have a new family, the church. This last week, there was a national elders, all the NCMI partnering churches around the country, a national elders kind of training time in Bedford View. And there were over 600 elders from hundreds of churches around the country all gathering. And we hosted some friends from another province, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And it was good to connect with our friends again. They've got three kids, we've got three kids, six kids in the house. It was chaos. But Wednesday night, we hosted some other people from a different church. And we had never met them before. Have you ever hosted complete strangers? And they were like family. Man, it was amazing. We have a new family in this kingdom. It's his body. We have a new perspective. We start to follow Jesus. We realize, actually... There's stuff more important than the day-to-day grind. There's things of eternal consequence and eternal benefit. Jesus says, store up for yourself riches in heaven, not on earth. So suddenly our, our perspective, how we see everyday life starts to change. How we see our priorities changes as God gives us a new perspective in this kingdom. We have a new mission to tell others about the joy and the freedom of this kingdom. The grace, the blessing, a loving Father. And friends, this mission is way bigger than you and I. 
Jesus says, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Turn your heads to your right and have a look at the world map at the back there. Do you know why we have it there? It's not because there's empty space or it's, you know, it's really trendy in churches now to have a world map there. No. We are convinced that the mission we're part of is not just Eden Glen, Eden Vale, Eastley, Highway Gardens, Sabenza, help me out, other suburbs. Huh? Croydon, where else? Namibia, who said Namibia? Oh, Hamelia, yes, Hamelia, sorry. My hearing's going. <laughs> Friends, the mission God has is bigger. We have to see that, otherwise we live a small life with this gospel's about me and my blessing. It's not. It's about the eternal purposes of Christ. And this is the amazing thing, that you and I get to be part of something that's so much bigger. We can have significance beyond just our little lives. We get to take this gospel that transforms lives, that liberates, that heals. You know that there's no government, institution, organization, or professional that can change someone's life like the gospel. Medical sciences can heal. Amazing. Love medical science. So grateful. Teachers can teach. Psychologists can work through trauma. Governments can put in place all kinds of stuff, but the gospel is the only thing that can transform a life. You and I carry this message. We're part of this kingdom. We get to invite people to join. And it's good to have medical science and psychologists. We need help. <laughs> you need help. <laughs> we all need help, right? But nothing can replace the fact that this gospel can make people into a new creation. The glorious riches of this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know what it requires, friends? It requires us to lay our lives down, to surrender, to yield to God. Because God's not committed to our dream. He's not going to lay down His plans for my ideas. As good as they might be, as fine sounding as I dress them up. Actually, God has his own plans. And we can choose if we do our thing or if we join him on his thing. And that's the big choice that we face, <laughs> actually. God doesn't need us. You know that, hey? We lift you up, not because you've fallen off the throne, but because the way we see you We've toppled you off the throne of our lives. That's why we worship, not for God. He doesn't become more God the more we worship, the more we read our Bible, the more we preach the gospel. He doesn't need us. He's self-sufficient, the Bible teaches. And yet, somehow, Paul said, there's a mystery where, where God gives us the privilege of partnering with Him, of being servants of the gospel, of telling others about this new life. Now, I don't know why God would choose you or I. <laughs> because he would do it a whole lot better if it wasn't for people. <laughs> he would have wrapped up his plan a long time ago, let's be honest. 
And yet there's this incredible privilege. We get to participate with what he's doing. The more we surrender, the more we choose to say yes to God, the more we are fulfilled. You know that success is great, but significance is greater. Ultimately, if you do your own thing, if I do my own thing, you might meet with much success with how the world defines success. But when you take a step back and you take stock, you realize those things leave you hollow and empty inside. Ask me, I've been there. But if we follow Jesus, our lives are going to have meaning, genuine fulfillment, genuine significance. And we'll get to the end of our lives and we'll not realize what we've done and achieved, but what we've done and achieved with God for His purpose, for the sake of the gospel. So how do we respond? Well, I think firstly we need to repent for our small lives and our selfish living. We need to repent and say sorry and turn around. Secondly, we need to let the bigness of the gospel shatter the ceilings. Just like that. The gospel needs to rev inside us. Because we like a little 600 cc. That's big for a motorbike, but small for a car. <laughs> Friends, do any of you have like a bonsai? You know when you have a tree in a small pot and it stays, it's called a bonsai. I think so many of us have planted the gospel in our hearts in a small pot. We have the small gospel. We can tend it and look at it and take care of it and we forget to water it sometimes. I feel like God this morning wanting to break the pots because this gospel is so much bigger this kingdom is eternal. It's so much greater than what we've ever dreamed. But we live a small life in my family and my work and my church. Like it's so nice and so cool. God, God loves me and bless me, God. And those aren't wrong, friends, but the gospel's bigger. And I think lastly, we need to become obsessed with Jesus. Paul was obsessed. You want to go crazy about one thing in your life, it's Jesus. Learn about him, follow him, worship him. Paul was obsessed with the things of God. He says, forgetting what's behind, pressing on to what's ahead, I stretch forward to lay hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Friends, are, are we living, eating, breathing, sleeping Jesus? I know I'm not, I feel convicted, I need to repent because this thing is way bigger than you are. Can we stand? I want to pray for us as we're ending. If you wouldn't mind closing your eyes. Father, we don't ever want to be caught out for asking you to do our thing. Father, I know I've said that prayer. We probably all have, Lord, forgive us. Lord, we repent now. Help us, God, to go back, not just to your promises, but to your purposes. We look at a man like Paul and how he was just gripped by the purposes of God. 
which he couldn't even explain. He talks about a mystery. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Lord, I, wow. Father, let my life, let all our lives demonstrate the bigness of God, the greatness of this gospel, the enormity of this kingdom, which is beyond time and space. The kingdom of God is within you. This kingdom's not of this world, and yet it, it gives us so much benefit here, Lord. Father, help us not to live such small and selfish lives. Lord, break the ceiling, break the walls, break the boxes that we've put on you. Shatter the, 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 um, the pot that this little oak tree's planted on, that it would become an oak of righteousness, tall, massive. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds in the garden, but when it grows up, goes into a, a massive tree. Father, help us to focus on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is how Paul tries to lift our eyes in Colossians 1. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were made by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. Father, we, where other things have taken priority in our lives, Father, we topple those idols in Jesus' name. And we say, Jesus, be supreme. Jesus, be number one. Jesus, be our vision. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Naught be all else to me, save that thou art. Oh, Jesus, help us to become besotted, obsessed, enamored with you. God has exalted Jesus to the highest place and given him the name above every name. Father, would that be our cry in Jesus' name? Amen. I've got a prophetic word for the gentleman in the blue shirt and the glasses. Can I chat to you after? Is that all right? I want to maybe say it out now. Yeah. If you would like prayer in any way, please come down to the front. Some of our leaders will be hanging out here. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Amen.